The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, Be sure of this. If the master of the house had known the hour when the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect, the Son of Man will come. And then Peter said, Lord, is this parable meant for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, who then is the faithful and prudent steward, steward whom the master will put in charge of his servants to distribute food allowance at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master on arrival finds doing so. Truly, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his property. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants to eat and drink and get drunk. Then that servant's master will come on an unexpected day and at an unknown hour and will punish the servant severely and assign him a place with the, the unfaithful. That servant who knew his master's will but did not make preparations nor act in accord with his will shall be beaten severely. And the servant who was ignorant of his master's will but acted in a way deserving of a severe beating shall be beaten only lightly. Much will be required of the person entrusted with much and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. The Gospel of the Lord. Don't you just love it when Jesus puts on the table a choice between a severe beating and being beaten only lightly? <laughs> what a remarkable reading that we have today. And it's good that we have it in the context of the memorial that we celebrate today, the memorial of the great Jesuit martyrs who gave their lives in Canada for the spread of the gospel. These men who were in no small measure those wise stewards that Jesus is speaking about in the gospel. These men who stepped forward and asked to be sent to the New World, to New France. And they asked to be sent for a very particular reason, the very thing that St. Paul speaks about in our first reading. Jesus Christ must be made known. We rarely express evangelization in those terms. We talk about inviting people to the church. We talk about bringing people to faith. We speak about programs and projects and salvation, and that's all fine. And yet 
these men crossed those dangerous waters and went to that dangerous and wild new land because Jesus Christ must be made known. In fact, Father Brebeuf, in one of his journals, pauses in his writing and turns prayerfully to Jesus. And he speaks of the stirring tug in his heart toward martyrdom. He sees not only that that's a real possibility for him, but there's something in him that begins to desire it. To desire it because of the way it will unite him with Jesus. And in doing so, as he speaks of this desire for union, he speaks of a sorrow in his heart. And his sorrow, his great sorrow, is that Jesus Christ is not known by everyone. What a remarkable statement that is. He has invested his life in making Jesus known. On the one hand, because that's how salvation comes to us. But on the other, more gloriously and even more true, is that Christ must be made known because he is so worthy of being known. And the secret of the knowledge of Jesus Christ is given to the church. This is that secret that St. Paul is speaking of. I have received the knowledge, and so it is my task to share the knowledge, to bring the knowledge. Because if I don't, the world will not receive it. Note how marvelously this dovetails with the feast we celebrated yesterday, that of St. Luke, the gospel writer. And the point of the gospel so that Christ might be made known. That preaching goes out into the world and Christ follows upon the preaching that he must be made known so that he can be loved, so that he can be met. And this was the great goal of these missionaries. They were conscious of a treasure and a gift and a responsibility. They were conscious that they were those stewards over whom and to whom the master has confided a trust, a treasure, a wealth. A wealth that must be used to feed and care for and sustain the other servants. And they would do nothing except be about discharging that responsibility. And so as we recognize that and we reflect on that, we see something mysterious about this teaching of Jesus, of which Peter says, are you talking to us or are you talking to everybody? And note how Jesus doesn't give him an answer directly to that question. Jesus, as he so often does, answers it with something we have to think about. And so Jesus says, well, who is the steward who's been given something? And he lets the question hang so that all of those who are listening to him and all of those who are following him recognize if he's trusted you with something, he's talking about you. And so then he says, if the master of the house knew when the thief was coming, he'd protect himself. 
And so the Lord sets this context of watchfulness over the household, over the household of the church, over the household of the family, and over the household of the heart. And the Lord says, the Son of Man will come at a time you're not looking for. And in speaking that way, he cuts against the grain of the tendency a certain segment of believers has had across the centuries to try and predict the day, the hour, and the moment of the Lord's coming. This fascinates us, doesn't it? We comb the Bible looking for clues. When is he coming? What are the signs? And what does Jesus say? It's going to be a time that you're not even going to be expecting. So in other words, don't spend too much energy trying to figure out the clues because you're still not going to expect it. And if we can't expect it, the question becomes, how do we prepare ourselves? How would we be ready if it's going to be at an unexpected moment and an unexpected hour? Because I don't know then to lock the door of my house and turn the alarm on. I don't know to sit up and keep watch if I don't know when the day is. And so the Lord here now is saying there's a different kind of watchfulness, a more continual, a more attentive watchfulness that is not about looking out through the dark night, wondering when the thief is going to decide to show up. Rather, the watchfulness the Lord desires from us is the watchful care over the household that we must extend every day. The Lord is not interested in his apostles watching for the signs of the enemy coming. He's interested in them who have been entrusted with gifts for the community, making sure the community receives them. And that the members of the community have what they need to sustain themselves and to do their part. In the same way, the Lord is saying, over the household of your heart, I have placed you. Watch over that heart. Not simply by keeping vigil against temptation, but by making sure the heart is doing what it's supposed to be doing in the first place. Because it doesn't do any good to protect yourself from the thief if you've been irresponsible with the wealth of the house in the first place. Because in the end, there's nothing for the thief to take then. And so this is why the Lord now says that servant who's doing his job, it's not going to matter when the master comes. He'll be ready. Because being ready implies being about what you're supposed to be about. But that servant who says, well, you know, it's not going to be anytime soon. I can put the cruise control at about 70, put my feet up on the dashboard, light a cigar, and just hang out for a while. That one is going to find himself falling asleep in his self-indulgence. He will begin to wrongly treat those who are under him, because he can. He will begin to use the wealth of the house only on himself, and he will numb himself and fall asleep in his indulgence. And he's never going to be ready. 
he's never going to be ready. Even if he's read all the signs and knows all the signals, it's not going to matter because the master's going to show up and he might even know the day, but he's not going to be ready. And it will go badly for him. It will go badly for him because he was not worthy of the trust that was given him. And so now then the Lord says, let's understand how this works. Because he knows our hearts. And what we like to do is we like to compare ourselves with one another. And we like to compare ourselves with what's going on in the world. And so what do we often say? I'm doing okay. And then we begin naming all of the great crimes that are taking place in the world. You know, and I've never sold drugs. And I've never killed anybody. And I've never robbed a bank. And I've never, I've never, I've never. And we begin listing all of the terrible things that other people do and have done and happen all too frequently. And we fool ourselves by saying, because I haven't done those things, I'm okay. But many of those who do those things haven't been given the knowledge of good and evil that you and I have. Many of those who do those things are not conscious of the power of grace in their lives that has been given to you and to me. There is much wickedness that happens out of ignorance. And so the Lord says that one who, out of a brutal, even vicious ignorance, out of sheer numbness and stupidity of heart, who has done something wrong, is not so worthy of punishment in my eyes as the one who has been given the means to do good and hasn't done it. And when we put it that way, what a remarkable statement that is. That one to whom I have entrusted the ability to make a difference for good, that one can't use the excuse of I've never done really bad things because you've done something worse. Because it's worse to withhold goodness than it is to do bad. And so the Lord is saying, I've given you something. And the others don't get it unless you use it. I expect you to do that. What a remarkable statement that is. And so note, the one who seeks to do good will be ready when the master comes, however unexpected the day. But the one who is indifferent to that, it doesn't matter how ready he or she is for anything else, will never be ready when the Lord arrives. And the Lord says there is a greater accountability to those who have been given much than there is for those who have little. And what determines that guilt or innocence in my eyes is not so much the size of the thing that is done or not done, but the measure of trust I've given you and what you've done with that. 
this is what animated those missionaries. They were given something. And they were conscious of the fact that there were others on this world who would not receive it unless they went and gave it. And so it was that Father Brebeuf and later Father Jogues and the other Jesuits came to the New World. They settled among the Hurons. They learned their language. They learned their culture. Father Brebeuf himself was responsible for at least 7,000 conversions. What a remarkable number that is. And he gained those conversions by preaching the gospel in the Huron language. And he so came to them what is old and what is new, the wise and faithful steward who gives both things. He took their language and he himself wrote a dictionary of the Huron language that he could give back to them. He himself, in his own hand, wrote out a catechism of Catholic belief in the Huron language that he gave to them. He took from them the old of their language and their culture. He valued it, he respected it, and into it he gave them something new, a dictionary, a catechism, and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What a remarkably beautiful mission that was. Father Jogues ultimately gave his life when he was captured by the enemies of the Hurons, the Mohawks. They tortured him and his companions. Eventually, they were put to death. And as Father Jogues contemplated his impending martyrdom, he repeatedly in his writings came back to a beautiful verse from the psalm that actually we use every year on Holy Thursday. The cup of I will take up the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. But he rephrased it. He took that image of, I will take up the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. And he said, I will take up the cup of the sufferings of Christ. And I will call upon the name of Jesus. And this is how he understood what he was doing. And that his martyrdom was not him being a victim. It was in its own way an act of worship by which he who brought the news of salvation to so many others was literally laying hold of it himself in this moment. In the pouring out of my blood, I am taking up the cup of salvation. In my turning toward heaven, I am calling upon the name of Jesus whom I have come to know and whom I have labored to make known. What an absolutely marvelous spirit that is. How wonderful we can reflect on it here where quite literally in a few minutes we will take up the cup of salvation. We will call upon the name of the Lord and we will come forward and we will stretch out our hands to the great gift of his self-giving. And when we receive him and we go back to our benches, Remember who you are, because at that moment, you are no longer the servant who has nothing. You are the one to whom the Lord has entrusted his household, because he trusts himself to you. And, as he says, to the one who has been given much, much 
will be expected. And note that as we say that, we're saying something great about ourselves because we are saying we are those whom the Lord does trust to that great degree. And so we desire to live and to go forth in a way where our actions and our words and our living become each day more and more worthy of that trust. And what a great thing indeed that is. Because then it doesn't matter the day and it doesn't matter the hour. That's the servant who is always ready. Amen.